Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings and slither in place because this is Snakebird. Snake hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the Snakebird Podcast. Today is part two and a continuation of our last one, which was a Snakebird profile. And we are profiling an infamous family. Who is it, Stephen? The Herods. The Herods. And we kind of hoped to leave on a cliffhanger. I don't know if we really did, but today we're picking up with a really dramatic moment because right now we're going to find that uh, Jesus comes to meet Herod Antipas uh, during his second political trial right before he's crucified, right? That's right. That's right. And most of you have heard this story. So Josh, why don't you take us into the details? Okay. So Jesus is, uh, of course, arrested at night. He has three religious trials, and then he's presented to to Pilate. And Pilate's like, are you the king of the Jews? And of course, Jesus is like not answering him. And he goes, it is as you say. And then Pilate, through a series of events, discovers that he's from Galilee. And he starts to wipe his brow and he's like, oh, thank you. Wait a minute. <laughs> I can send him elsewhere. I can, I can punt this ball away. Yeah. And he goes, oh, you're from Galilee. You should. You shouldn't have been talking to me this whole time. You yeah. need to go see my friend Herod. And and at the time they weren't even actually friends. We'll find out. But he says you need to go to see Herod. Yeah. And of course Herod, we find out, has actually um, had run-ins, like we said, with Jesus to the point where Jesus called him a fox. And then Herod had heard of Jesus, and he actually even feared that it was John the Baptist resurrected to kind of come back and and in a sense ghost, not ghost him, but haunt yeah. him because he was a he was worried about what he'd done. And and now as he realizes Jesus is coming to see him, the Bible said that he was very glad when he saw Jesus because he'd wanted to see him for a very long time. This is in Luke 23, because he'd been hearing about him and hoping to see a sign performed by him. Yeah, I bet he's glad that his brother Archelaus fouled up so bad because it would have been his territory. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't know what he wanted to see Jesus do, but I can just imagine Herod's like, bring the juggler. Yeah. Bring the fire blower. Bring Jesus. And he's like, do something cool. Yeah. It's like, bring Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so basically the king, he is wanting to see Jesus because he's heard about his tricks. Yes. And he wants him to do something fabulous. And Jesus is already, he knows what's coming. Yeah. He's already set his eyes on the cross and he knows what's coming. And so he doesn't really do anything. And and Herod wants this new toy to perform and Jesus doesn't do much. And so all they end up doing is just mocking him and dressing him up as a king. And then they ship him back to Pilate. Yeah, sends him straight back to Pilate. Yeah, which I know we'll say this uh, for my final application, but what's so sad is that generation after generation had Jesus in one form or another in front of them, and they missed it. Yeah. And for him, he was one of the only ones that actually had Jesus uh, as a man standing in front of him and and could have really changed his life. And instead of allowing Jesus to, to change him, he he missed it. Yeah. He just sent him off. And and I don't know why, but it said that he and Pilate became friends that day. And I guess it was like, we've never really talked, but now we can bond over this one Jewish prisoner. And uh, and I don't know what the, what the underlying part of it was, but 
they became friends. And so um, we don't want to leave off Antipas's story because I know in the Bible it ends, but historically it doesn't. And I love when we finally find out that what we reap, we're going to sow. And his misdeeds did catch up to him. Uh, one of his misdeeds that caught up to him was his divorce from his first wife. I'm going to try to say her name again, Phosileus. And remember that he just out and out eloped with his uh, brother's wife, Herodias. Mm -hmm. Well, all of a sudden that led to a war that proved disastrous for him because her dad was like, I'm not okay with this. And it ended up weakening his rule and authority. And then six years after Jesus's crucifixion, come to find out Antipas was deep into some really shady things. He was in league with a Roman officer named Sejanus. Sejanus? <laughs> Sejanus. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I've always thought it was awesome. Who was a prefect of the Praetorian Guard, which makes me think of first and foremost um, Pilate uh, being there at the Praetorium. But then it also reminds me of one of our favorite movies, Gladiator. Yes. <laughs> you know, for my line. Yeah. And like, because that was the Praetorian guard that always guarded the emperor. Mm-hmm. And, and he was supposed to be that, but he actually was in league or cooperating with the king of Parthia, who I said earlier was Rome's main enemy. And he and Antipas and Sejanus had all laid aside 70,000 weapons of war, to enough to arm wow. 70,000 men. And what they were going to do with it, I don't know. But having discovered it, Caligula, now the emperor in Rome, called him quickly to Rome for judgment. So it's kind of funny because on one side, you have him going to Rome to receive judgment. But the whole way there, Herodias is in his ear going, don't you remember your father's will? He wanted you to be king. When we get there, you need to ask to be king. And he's like, okay, honey. I love the Jersey accent. That's that's how I'm going to picture her from now on. I don't know why I'm doing it, but (laughs) she was in his ear. I don't know. Try something big. <laughs> you do Be- that so well. Become a king, I said. Um, ask for more power, I said. Okay. so But that's the kind of gal she was. Yeah. That's exactly right. She always wanted bigger and better. And yeah. what we didn't know is that his nephew, who we're going to talk in detail about soon, is yeah. named Agrippa I. Yeah. And Agrippa and the emperor... They had a closer relationship, and what he doesn't realize is that he's already informed on Antipas to Caligula. He's already ratted him out. And so as Antipas gets to Rome, and he goes before Caligula to talk to him and have his first interview and to basically carry out what Herodias said to him and and ask to be the king, right at that time, this guy named Fortunus, who was Agrippa's freedman, comes in with these documents proving Antipas's treachery. Wow. Yeah. What a conspiracy. Yeah. And so then Agrippa comes and was like, and like in dramatic effect, like, I accused this man. Yeah. And Caligula is like, what? And so all of a sudden they put all these pieces together and all these charges. And Caligula looks at Antipas and goes, deny these things. Tell me I'm way off on charging you with this. Tell me that you weren't really doing this. And of course he couldn't deny the accusations and he confessed to the charges. Yeah. And so here's the ironic thing is that he'd had this back and forth between his nephew where he really um, hated on his nephew because he was offended by him. Uh, What ended up happening was Caesar said, okay, all of your kingdom, it's going to your nephew now. 
Yeah. And what ended up happening is he and Herodias were banished in 39 AD and they were deposed and exiled to Gaul, just like his brother, Archelaus. <laughs> and it's rumored that when they got there, that it's potentially they both committed suicide. So yeah. given those egos, it yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like they'd had all the power and then everything, you know, got stripped away because of his misdealings. And, and it's true that what they talked about him, that he had nothing like his father. He, he tried to fill these big shoes, but when Jesus called him a Fox, he, he knew his core character. Yeah. So if you could retain all that, that is Herod Antipas. What a character. Again, probably should be made into a movie. It really should. Yeah, it should. So does that lead us, Josh, next to Herod Philip? It does. Which is Philip the second? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Philip the second. Yeah. And, and we just mentioned that because there was the other Herod Philip that might not have taken the Herod name, but he, he was also a Philip, correct? So there's Herod two, which is also known as Philip one. Yes. And then there's Philip two, which is the Tetrarch. Wow. And, and Herod two was the one who was originally married to Herodias and he was the father of Salome, the dancer of the sketchiness. So Philip one, he had a bad time. He had his wife leave him. He had his daughter taken by her uncle. Well, that's the thing is he had a daughter who was a sketchy dancer and and then she ended up marrying Philip too. Yeah. Crazy. At, at kind of an early young age. Yeah. Like creepy what a age. Bunch yeah. of creeps. <laughs> so we finally made it to, to Herod Philip II. And that correct too? Yes. Two. Okay. Philip it's so two, confusing. The Tetrarch. Yeah. The Tetrarch. So he yeah. ruled from 4 BC to 34 AD over Eturia and Tri- Trachonitis. 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 <laughs> and we find the power of the suffix. Arentitis. <laughs> Batanea, did you say that already? Uh, no, I did okay, not say yeah, that one. Just a few different regions, I yes. guess. And uh, we find this Herod is precisely categorized by Dr. Luke himself in Luke 3 1. And um, this uh, Herod was the child of Herod the Great and Cleopatra of Jerusalem. Yes, not Cleopatra of yes, Egypt. Yes, that, not that one. And when you hear of the city in the Bible called Caesarea Philippi, this was previously the city of Peneus, but Herod Philip, he rebuilt it and named it after the emperor and himself, hence Caesarea Philippi. So that is Philip the uh, second. Tell us more about him, Josh. Well, he was widely regarded as the best of all of the Herods. And he's described by historians as a person of moderation and quietness in the conduct of his life and government. And really, his people, they just loved him. When he uh, when he died after reigning for 37 years, he was buried with a real big party. Like, they just celebrated him. So out of all of them, out of all of the ones that you could say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this about him, he really just lived a normal life. In fact, I heard that he uh, didn't really want to be called Herod. Well, that would that would explain him being better than the others. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even yeah. want the name. He's kind of the the black sheep of the family, but by doing that, he's like, I don't want to be associated with those yeah. those weirdos, you know. I was born into this. <laughs> so I don't claim them, so they say. The only mar on his on his character that I could even find was that he married his niece so young. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a bit creepy, but come, considering where he came from, it's and there pretty are, normal probably. Yeah, there is some debate about that. I mean, just depending on where you read, some people were like, well, he didn't marry her. And, and I believe that he did, but I'm, 
yeah you could find some stuff so yeah anyway if you yeah. dare to even research this further <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like no i use this podcast to be put to sleep <laughs> i didn't even want to know this much <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we still got you keep going because now we get to a really interesting character don't we yeah herod agrappa the first i got a grappa with you <laughs> that's right yeah herod agrippa the first um he was the grandson of herod the great and he ruled from around 37 to 44 A.D. And he's referred to in Acts chapter 12 as the Herod who persecuted the church. Um, Acts 12 verse 1 through 3 says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James the brother of John put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So we see here that Agrippa I in verse 1 had singled out those who belonged to the faith and laid hands on them, roughing them up, antagonizing them. And the motivation at the end of the verse was just in order to mistreat them. He simply wanted to do it. It probably brought him joy. And then to take it a little further, he had James, the brother of John, slayed with the sword. So this guy committed these atrocious acts. And we get the idea in verse 3 that he would have gone further, but he wanted to test the waters to see what the reaction would be of the people. Yeah, it's it's really sad because he goes in a very um, same trajectory as his grandfather, where he started not that bad. Yeah. And it wasn't until later in his life that he started wanting to please the Jews and, and started persecuting Christians. Um, do you mind if I go into some of his history before this? Go for it. So he's the last ruler with the royal title of reigning over Judea. And he's described as a, a man of gracious manners, a kindly spirit, gifted with extraordinary powers of eloquence. And he was really vain, which sounds like Herod the Great. Uh, he was zealous in religion. Um, he tithed on his mint, his dill, and his cumin, kind of like the Pharisees would. But when they talk about him being zealous in religion, he was actually neglectful of the weightier provisions of the law, like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And we find that that's what really did him in later on. But in his earlier time, he was a good ruler. And it said that while he was vain, he was fond of popularity and he possessed a great and magnetic personality. And I probably went way too far on the history of him. And I could spend some time talking about stuff that may not be that interesting. But I did find one story that I thought was really interesting because he always kind of had money troubles and he went back and forth with his uncle Herod Antipas and it, it kind of blew up in his face. And to one point, he even considered um, committing suicide. But later on, again, because he was raised in Rome, he um, he became really good friends with a guy named Caligula, uh, who was a favorite in the community. And um, Agrippa was on his chariot one day and he just raised his hands and he just was like, I just wish Tiberius would die. So uh, Caligula could become emperor. And there was a guy standing there and was like, oh, <laughs> and he went and reported him. And the next thing you know is Tiberius threw Agrippa in jail. And uh, he died about six months later. And, and when he died, Caligula became emperor and he went and he freed him. And he said, Agrippa, I'm going to make you a king. And not only did he make you a king, but he even presented him with a gold chain uh, equal in weight to the iron one that he'd been wearing in prison. And he ended up putting that in Jerusalem, showing like, I should have been this ruler all along. Wow. And, and Caligula did all that before he went crazy and was assassinated. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, 
based on all that, he just, he really loved the praise of the people and he became exceedingly ambitious to please the Jews. And that's why he started persecuting the Christians. Yeah. Yeah. And he really pushed the envelope with that. It's it's surprising to me to hear that he, he started almost justly, I don't know if that's the right word, but had better, better motives at first, because the idea we get from scripture is that he, um, he seemed to have joy just antagonizing the Jews. Yeah, and um, and when he saw that no uprising would occur, he actually pleased the Jewish leaders by doing these things. He proceeded with the persecution even further, and as we already discussed, he he went ahead and had Peter arrested, and he was guarded by sixteen Roman soldiers with the intent of bringing him back out before the people after Passover. And what that meant, uh, maybe he was going to publicly beat him or even kill him, but it wasn't God's plan. And what it ended up happening, well, you're probably familiar with the story, is in Acts 12, 5, that um, the whole church was praying for him, it says. And on the very night that Herod Agrippa was supposed to make this spectacle of Peter, an angel of God appeared with a bright light that lit up the cell. I can only imagine like the light that um, Agent K used in Men in Black. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone is incapacitated. And then uh, Peter, who was chained to two guards, was struck on, in the side by this angel to wake him up. <laughs> and the chains fell from Peter's hands and uh, instructed him to, to gird thy loins as they moseyed on out of the prison. And um, they, they deuced out of there, basically. And verse 9 says that Peter thought this whole thing was a dream. But when he, he came to his senses, he came to, he realized what had happened um, was real. And he went to the house of Mary, where there were a lot gathered there hiding and praying. And uh, it's an interesting story because the servant girl there named Rhoda, she she hears him knocking and sees him. And she was like, it's Peter, and doesn't open the door. She just turns around and runs upstairs to tell everybody. And, uh, they, of course, they didn't believe her. They said, which I thought was an interesting statement, they said they thought it was Peter's angel. He'd already been killed. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> thought he was already done. Yeah. And so they didn't believe him. And and uh, they come to find out, they, they see Peter, and he, he tells them all to be quiet and, and don't say anything. He told them everything that had happened. And as you can imagine, um, when Herod Agrippa hears of this, that Peter's escaped, he was not a happy camper. He was very upset. He questioned every single one of the guards, ordered them to be executed. And after all of this mess, um, he decides, Herod, Agrippa, decides to take a little vacation to Caesarea. But uh, this trip ended up a little bit different than he thought it would. Yes. So the situation, it's honestly, it's kind of a whole other story, but the way this has been going, we'll probably get into it. But basically, in Acts 12.20, um, Herod came to the region with a, a hostile stance towards the people of Tyre and Sidon. And why exactly he was hostile towards them is not mentioned, but I imagine that it's for the same reasons that he wanted to harass and kill James and all those first believers. He simply found some twisted pleasure in hating others. Uh, this was a man controlled by sin, at least in these later years, it appears. And um, the people that he was planning on making war with, they decided to make the first move by winning over Herod's right-hand servant by the name of Blastus, which is a cool name. <laughs> and the Bible calls him the king's chamberlain. And he was basically the the, the right-hand servant that, that tended to his bedchamber and all of that stuff. And um, 
with one accord, the uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon came with Blastus in one accord, and they were begging for peace because their livelihoods depended on it. Uh, there's a backstory with this, with their um, trading routes and supplies were being affected, and because Herod Hayden just was hostile towards them, the Bible says. And so given the situation that Herod's own servant was in favor of, of this peace for these people of Tyre and Sidon, Herod agrees to the demands of the people and schedules an address to the people, like a state of the union, like the president would give to America. Sure, yeah. And uh, when Herod Agrippa I approaches the stage to deliver this address to the people, he approaches with some particular Roman apparel, a uh, particular garb. This, this particular garment is suggestive of being a god, as we see, as we look back. Mm-hmm. And his speech pleases the people so much so that they start chanting in verse 22, the voice of a god and not of a man. And so there's this flavor already he approaches with this garment on, the shining garment. I think you called him a, what did you call him earlier, Josh? <laughs> well, I did this teaching for uh, my youth group a long, long, long time ago. So I called him the disco ball king. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> because they started chanting the voice of a God and not a man. And I could just imagine in his vanity and in his um, just pursuit of glory that he was just dancing there like, you know, and every time that he moved, it said that his robe was shimmering like the sun. That's what Josephus, the historian, said. Yeah. And, and he just was, he was eating it up. And it reminds me of a Hebrew word for Satan called the shining one. Oh. The Nakash. Oh. <laughs> so there's probably some pagan roots in there, there somewhere. Yeah, there you go. But uh, yeah, the people were very pleased because their livelihoods, it looked like, were going to be um, restored. And they were calling him a god. And his own ego, considering himself worthy of a god's glory, at this point uh, is what what ends up being an angel of God struck Herod Agrippa the first um, at which point worms begin to eat him to death yeah he didn't stop or correct or rebuke the people that uh, hey this is not the right thing instead he was eating it up and so he got eaten up yeah by and worms he did <laughs> yeah and what something that's interesting to me is we've we've had this uh, talk in the past before about how the Bible in, in the gospel is, when it falls on deaf ears, it means nothing. It's mm-hmm. a love letter to people, and it's for all people, but if you don't receive it, it's not for you. Yeah. And so it's interesting that someone of this mindset already, who already considers himself everything, that God does draw a line here, and he says, even you are going to be held responsible in this life, obviously in the next life. Yeah. But even here, this was for you, and this isn't right. And you're getting struck right here. Well, I just, I always have found this story so interesting because of the manipulation that he kind of succumbs to of them going, we don't have food unless this dude's happy with us. And so they're saying anything that he wants to hear. And because he is so vain that he's just, like I said, he's eating it up. And it makes me just wonder uh, how this all came about medically, if he had a tapeworm or multiple that literally just ate him from the inside out. Yeah, that's a good question. I was thinking about that. Perhaps it, there, it was something that we would identify medically now, but maybe not. Maybe it was, maybe it was a lot more direct and miraculous. Yeah, I don't like, know, like like the movie Tremors or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it said that at the age of fifty-four, five days later, he died. Yeah, sounds like something medical for sure. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about what all went on there, but it's a that that was quite a demise. To and I'm reminded of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar who. 
ate grass for what seven years mm-hmm. because he found himself in the same position where he sat on that balcony and looked at everything and said, "Look what I have done." Well, it's so funny because he has this dream. And in this dream, he goes, I'm going to kill everyone unless you guys can tell it to me. And then God reveals himself by using Daniel. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was about this statue with the head of gold, which was Nebuchadnezzar. And then, of course, it goes on to the different kingdoms. And it ends up getting squashed by the mountain, which is representative of God. So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do in the next chapter? He builds a statue of gold. He missed the whole point and he had people worshiping it and he refused to acknowledge God as the ruler of heaven and earth, either though he'd already revealed his power to Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. There's a certain mindset that they are so, uh, such ego and so after their own will, selfish ambition that it won't be seen. Yeah. But after seven years, finally Nebuchadnezzar was like, yeah, he is God. (laughs) Can I tell you something? I didn't get to shave or cut my nails or, you know, I had to eat grass and you know what that does to your tummy. (laughs) (laughs) But sorry, I don't know why I brought that up. Didn't they call boanthropy or something? <laughs> oh, there's a medical term right there. I don't know if that was correct. I'll look it up after the episode. Um, but anyway, that's all I have on Herod Agrippa the first. Josh, you got anything else on him? That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, as things would go, he had a son. Herod Agrippa the second was his name. <laughs> I can see it's just a clever name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, these people they don't branch out a lot, as no. we said. I mean, they keep yeah. same name, same wives. Well, his married. dad had two wives with the same name oh my goodness yeah and uh this herod agrippa the second ruled uh the region of of calcus or chalcus i don't know from 48 to 50 a.d and uh then the region of eturia after that and this is the herod that we read of in acts 25 starting in verse 13 where we see that herod agrippa the second was in caesarea to pay respect to Festus, the new governor of Judea. Do you want to tell any backstory before we get to that, Josh? Just a little bit. So after the death of another Herod, Herod V. Imagine that. Who you just said he was Herod of Chalcis. Uh, after he passed, his rule and reign was given to Agrippa II. And because of that, he was appointed as the superintendent of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, overseeing it and managing its treasury, as well as the appointment of the Jewish high priest. And uh, throughout his rule and reign, even though he was a Jew and even though he sided with the Jews, um, as things started to get really bad and as um, it just looked like it was all out going to come to war, as much as he tried to dissuade the Jewish people from war, when war did finally break out, instead of him um, branching off and deciding to go with the Jews, he fought with the Romans. And um, we know that uh, eventually from the first Jewish-Roman War of 66 to 73, he sent some men and he accompanied Titus, who we know eventually overthrows Jerusalem. And um, after Jerusalem was captured, he ended up going with his sister Bernice back to Rome, where he became a praetor and uh, he had some additional territory. So um, just throughout his reign, he had some interesting things happen. But uh, other than the fact that I think he should have sided with the Jews, he identified more as a Roman. Yeah. But I think the most interesting thing that happens is when he does show up in the book of Acts, like you said, at uh, Caesarea by the sea. 
Yeah, that's right. And like I said, that's in um, Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 13, where um, Herod Agrippa II was in Caesarea to pay respects to Festus, the new governor of Judea. And what had happened was that the governor before Festus, by the name of Felix, he's the one that actually imprisoned Paul. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, requested an audience before Caesar's court, and that was granted to him, but he had to wait in prison for that day. Mm -hmm. And so Festus, being stuck with this case from the previous governor, Felix, mentions it to Herod Agrippa II while he's in town. And Herod is interested enough that he decides to talk to Paul himself. And Felix is married to Herod's sister, Drusilla. Isn't that a surprise? <laughs> yeah. These gals get around. And, and Felix, can I just say for for one second, he was a bad dude. Yeah. Like he... He wanted to, of course, um, appease the the Jewish uh, people, but he also knew that Paul was innocent, but he sat on him because he wanted Paul to give him a bribe. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, right. What a scumbag. And <laughs> so finally, uh, he goes out and in comes Festus. Yeah, Festus. And so a large gathering is present before Festus, the honored guest, uh, Herod Agrippa there as well. And Herod Agrippa II, that is. And Paul is ordered to give a defense for himself um, by Herod. And what happens next is that Paul presents his defense in such a way, it's very strategic. And he's trying to, instead of defend himself, he's preaching the gospel mm -hmm. to him. It's just a really cool thing. He was he was well aware, the thing is, with this long history between the Herods and the Pharisees. The fact that they were secretly allies, and maybe not even so secret. But he started his defense by making sure Herod knew that he was a Pharisee and that he was raised a Pharisee. And he proceeds to lay out how he was converted to the true way through Jesus and that the way of the Pharisees is past. And at the end of Paul's defense, Herod recognizes what's going on, that he's trying to convert him. And in Acts 26, verse 8, Herod replies to Paul, "'In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian?' And Paul's response in the next verse is, I wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Mm -hmm. And so Paul's like, yes, you did catch me and I'm not ashamed of it. Yeah. What a stance, right? Oh, yeah. Because he's he's sitting there trying to, I mean, he even steps aside, Herod does with other people. And he's like, if he hadn't pleaded to Caesar, this he might have been freed by now. Yeah. And, but that wasn't Paul's plan. That wasn't his motive, his goal. No. Preaching the gospel always was his goal. He always wanted to get to Rome, and God said, I'm going to get you to Rome. It's just going to be as a prisoner. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But obviously they weren't aware of, of God's will and the loop in that, no. that respect. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the, the Herod Agrippa II, the one who Paul um, addressed in, in Acts there. I just always love that. You almost persuade me to become a Christian because he gave such an eloquent defense of himself, but not even, like you said, a defense, but more of a preaching and a presentation of the gospel message. And I hope that maybe there were some people there that were like, hey, Paul, can I talk to you after this? Yeah. You know, well, there might have been seeds planted that day that did change many lives, just not his. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So that's a lot of Herods. If I ever say the word Herod again, I'm yeah, going to pass out. No. <laughs> no kidding. So many Herods. Yeah. 
So I wanted to just talk uh, real quick about the princesses of the Herodian dynasty real oh. quick. Just a couple. Um, like I said, I just mentioned Drusilla, and I thought this was really interesting. She was the daughter of Agrippa I, and he died when she was only six years old. Uh, of course, he had just done the disco ball thing, and, <laughs> yeah. and God struck him. But uh, she was really beautiful, and Felix, this procurator of Judea, saw her, and he fell in love with her. And uh, he was like, I have to have you, and, and he ended up winning her over. She married him and had a son, but they actually died in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Wow. Yeah. So I thought, wow, that's interesting. You had to mention that. <laughs> yes. And then um, Bernice was the daughter of Agrippa I as well. She was sisters with Drusilla and another girl named Miriam. And her brother was Agrippa II. Uh, it said that she had an incestuous relationship with her brother, Agrippa II. And she married a guy named Polemon, who I was like, not Pokemon. <laughs> but she ended up deserting him to go back to her brother. And then eventually she became, um, I guess, like a kind of a mistress to eventually Emperor Titus. Oh, wow. So she had such an interesting backstory. So that's the Herod dynasty. Yeah. And quite the dynasty it was. It was, yeah. And like I said, if I never say the word Herod again for a little while, I'll be all right with that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I know for me at least, um, going back as I read there, I didn't know half of this stuff whenever we first went into this study. So going back through scripture, knowing that these are different Herods and these different scenes, um, it's really going to help me in the future, I know, to kind of decipher a few different facts and, and the way things were going. And we hope that it did for you too. And it's something that you can come back to and, and pull from this episode as a resource. Yeah. I just think it's so neat that all these generations of Herod showed up through the lives of Jesus and then on to the apostles like James and Peter and then eventually to Paul. I mean, just that's the, it that's coincides. The, yeah, that's the main reason I found the lineage to Esau so fascinating is because it really was like a, an opposing lineage. Yeah, that interaction with the seed of David and the lineage of David versus... Mm-hmm. It go all the way back to Genesis to, where the yeah. seed of... The, yeah, yeah, Jacob and Esau. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. even before that, the uh, the seed of, of uh, the woman will crush the head of... Oh. So, yeah, I mean, I've always been fascinated by the bloodlines. Yes, that's true. Yeah, just the parallels that they have and then just the pop-ins. Yeah. You're, you're going to have some pop-ins. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So, so do you got any application, Josh? I, I have a few things. A lot of times when we talk about application, we're like, look what this person did for God and how we can look at that. Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of that. I will say this, and this is where I thought there was a lot of tragedy, is that they, the Herods, had to present themselves as Jews, even though they were they were half Roman in a lot of ways. They were like, hey, I, I support the Roman ideology, but they were Jewish. And so what they were supposed to be is they were supposed to be God's people. And yet really none of them, even though they presented themselves as that way, none of them ever lived for God. And that's what made me so sad is that I think there's a way to live in this world saying, hey, I identify myself as a believer or as a Christian and yet never acknowledge God as actually part of your life. Yeah. And I know that there are people who go to church every Sunday and who are kind of walking in that autopilot of 
I prayed a prayer at some point, but it has never changed them. It's never affected them. Yeah. And, and I think you can point to the Herods as having, again, that, um, that air of religiosity, but actually no substance of change and no substance of knowing God for who he is. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's really just the basically the same application that I have, and um, just looking back at all of all of the Herods, like like Josh said, we usually have a person with very specific things. We got such a broad canvas here of what happened, but the one thing that I notice in all of it that unifies is just this motive of self. Mm-hmm. It's me, me, me. What what can I do to climb the ladder? What can I do to look a certain way in front of other people? What can I do for the spotlight to be on me? And like Josh said, uh, I, I, I agree completely, and that's my application that I see as well, is that there are there are people that claim the title of something but aren't that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's the selfish ambition that I spoke of in, in, not that I spoke, that I mentioned in James 3, um, 14 at the beginning of the episode. Uh, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, boast uh, and, and be false to the truth, that's not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And and so if you find that that in your life, um, know that, that God will, will take you as you are, but you have to grow in Him, and that's something He does. And if you find yourself striving for ambitions and trying to make things look a certain way and trying to become this thing, um, that's not the way. Mm. And so that's, that's the application I saw too. And, and that's pretty evident to see in the, um, the conclusion of every Herod that I saw. Yeah. Christian is not a title. Yeah. It, it is just like following. Jew wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it was and it wasn't. <laughs> it was and it wasn't. Yeah. It's following Jesus with your whole heart. And if that's lacking, then it you're lacking everything. You, you've missed the boat. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they missed the boat. They did. And it was evident to see. It's not one of these things which you're looking at it and you, you don't really know. You know, if you're honest with yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. Don't be a Herod. Please do not be a Herod. Hopefully, not any of them. <laughs> What's that? I said not any of them. Don't. I know some seem to be a little better than others, but that's a different standard. Exactly. Yeah. Don't even be Philip Tetrarch, who was the the least offensive of all the Herods. Yeah. The lesser of two evils. <laughs> who we thought there was two at the beginning, or I did. There was two at the beginning. There was a billion. <laughs> oh well, you mean just Herods as it is? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. So that's the Herods. Wow. Yeah. Um, I never knew we'd do a snakebird profile on like... A s- dynasty. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, that was not in my range of thought when we first started doing this, but I thought it was really cool. Yep. It was quite the history lesson. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, we ask that you um, respond to us. Give us some feedback on it. If you did enjoy it, if you didn't, if you'd rather us not get so historical, whatever it may be, please reach out to us. Yeah. Because uh, we don't mind if our brains don't melt again. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, this was really fun. It, it, it was a lot to cover, but it was so much fun. And, and we pray that you actually got something out of it. I, I continue to have my faith strengthened by going and seeing on Wikipedia or through these different encyclopedias that we were reading, um, just these historical characters unfold and how they interacted with, with Jesus 
and how they came into biblical stories and all those things. And it just really reaffirms the foundation of my faith that all of this is real. Yeah. So, it really is. Yeah. Please uh, reach out to us. You can do that through our Facebook page. You can send us an email at connect at com. We'd love to hear who else you might want us to profile. And if you want to say another dynasty, by golly, <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> but you, you know? got a request. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we know that there's some people out there that we're looking forward to covering really soon. Yep. So any topics that you have, please let us know. And um, don't forget, uh, if you can share us, that really helps. It helps the algorithm. It helps uh, let people know that we're out there. We're getting listeners from all over the world. And we have some really faithful listeners here in the United States that when we check um, our episodes, we see you guys showing up every week and thank you yeah so we thank you very much yeah and we hope this is helping yes yeah we hope you're growing in your faith that's the whole point of this yeah so and and don't think that all you got to do or the only relationship here is just hearing us please please let us know if there's any prayer requests you have or anything that we can we can be praying for you uh, just reach out to us in any way. Yeah, we want this to be a community and we want you not only to connect with us, but to connect with others. And so the only way that you can do that is by reaching out and giving yourself a voice. Yeah, so there it is. All right, always remember whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to not be a Herod and be a snake bird. the father of Salome, the strip dancer. Yes. <laughs> the, the sketchy dancer. Sorry. Uh, he's the father of Salome, the uh, the dancer of the sketchiness. Never been a better time to not be a Herod. Oh, man. You said exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. I'm so excited for that. And be a snake bird. Snake bird.